welcome film aficionados. This is the Moving Picture Show. I'm Rudy in Auckland. Yeah, and this is Chris in Chicago. And today we are talking about the 1993 movie Red Rock West. This is also the final episode of our film noir discussion. Yeah, we. Um, it was our idea to... Well, more like Rudy's idea to end on a neo-noir movie, a movie that's beyond the heyday of film noir, uh, that has film noir elements or plot. And in this movie in particular, it's also a rural noir. And it's a film noir that takes place in a rural setting. And it's in it's in color. So, yeah. So we thought we'd end on that, you know, kind of progress, but not only by time, but by, um, I guess... This is like a subgenre of a larger genre. I don't remember. Yeah, is there? Can you think of a of a movie that would have like that would have started the neo noir genre? I'm I'm gonna have to go with uh, Chinatown. I feel like that's probably the the best made and most well known neo noir, and that it's like in vibrant color. It's in um, it's in the '70s, so after the heyday of film noir, and it's a um, yeah, it has a lot of things that, like, while it has, it's mostly a film noir, it has things that can only happen in the 70s, like the incestuous plot and some of the violence. Um, yeah, could you could you think of any uh, rural noirs? I mean, yeah, I think, Chi- I mean, like, Chinatown is an obvious one to pinpoint, I guess, as the, as the sort of the new noir, because uh, it, it, it's, in, like you said, it's in color, but it also, it does take place in that, 1930s or 1940s era if i remember it's true but um i guess it's true i mean it isn't doesn't take place um in the present but i think with a neo-noir is it doesn't have to necessarily take place in the present for it to be a neo-noir as long as it's made after the time period and with the the camera techniques and i think in some ways some of the sensibilities of chinatown it's like a 1970s movie that looks back on the 19, 1930s. Yeah. If that makes sense. Like it's, um, you know, it's not very, it's not like they're trying to recreate an, an old fashioned movie, like how George Clooney tried to create, you know, recreate Casablanca with the good German. It's not trying to be an old movie. It's trying to take everything that's come before and make its, make its own movie that takes place during that, like the heyday of, of hard-boiled fiction and private investigators. Yeah, that makes yeah, sense. I don't, I don't, yeah. That, that's a good point. Yeah, I mean, in terms of in terms of rural noir, um, I'm sort of yeah racking my brain to try and think of uh, an obvious, I guess, an obvious starting point. I mean, recent, like I watched Winter's Bone recently, which is you know, which is an example that comes to mind, but it's. You know that's a very that's a very uh, modern or very recent example. I, I think it might have to come with like the Coen Brothers, like late '80s, early '90s work, like Fargo would probably be the the, the hallmark. I mean, rural noir is a very small subgenre of neo noir, which is a relatively small subgenre of film noir and so i think you're just getting it's getting more and more obscure and not that there's not a handful of examples but it's not there's still a lot of debate if rural noir even exists i guess and it's sort of a more recent phenomenon of like oh well 
this is set in the middle of nowhere, but it has noir elements. So, like Fargo, Winter's Bone. Uh, I haven't seen it, but isn't it called like Blood Simple? Like yeah, Blood Simple Brothers. is actually the Coen Brothers. That that was their debut film. Yeah, nineteen ninety four. So yeah, that's a good example. Like I have the uh, the rough guide to film noir. I took it out of the library, and one of one of their touchstone um, film noir movies is Blood Simple. So we might be able to put, and that's that's rural, right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it is. From what I remember about it, it's a very small town setting. So yeah, I guess we could put it with the Coen Brothers because yeah, when I think of them, I think of a lot of kind of. If it's not film noir, it's like noirish elements of like uh, stuff of like uh, in, in rural movies. Like The Big Lebowski takes place in Los Angeles, but like No Country for Old Men could be kind of a noir where the main character gets caught up in something he doesn't understand. And he's sort of doomed and it's really dark and it takes place in a rural setting. You have Fargo, uh, which is pre-noirish I saw it a few years ago I can't remember all of it but you know you have your the cop is almost like the private investigator you have um yeah this movie Blood Simple uh yeah. what else uh, another great ex- another good example that I just uh, came across Sam Raimi did a movie called A Simple Plan in okay. in 1998 and it's like a small town thriller with that definitely has noir elements in it and that and that's, I mean, that's. I think that's one of his best. It's one of his best movies. Like very, was quite low budget, but it's just a very economical thriller, and it's got a really emotional sort of gut punch of an ending as well. So that's another one that I can think of. But I'm sure there's there's quite a few more examples, you know, that that, that we could come up with. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's kind of hard too because in. Um with the rural setting being such a a place for horror movies and also thrillers, I think I'd have to see a lot more movies to be like, okay, well, this is more of a noir movie because, you know, a lot of times in these movies, it's like, oh, well, there's crimes or a serial, serial killer or something like that. And it's like a horror movie, but at the same time, it may be like, well, the protagonist has is like a, a troubled guy or maybe it's shot in darkness. And so you don't really know what to call kind of like I guess what I'm trying to say like is Winter Winter's Bones a good example and that it's shot like a noir but at the same time it could be a a rural crime movie or a thriller even and so it's hard to that's why rural noir is still like debated because it's sort of like there's not there hasn't been so many movies that's a thing just like how film noir itself started in the 30s but it wasn't until uh, was it 45 or 46 in France that the, the the term was coined? So I think there just needs to be a larger body of work before it's something that's like out of the hypothetical, you know? Yes. Yeah. So yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So yeah. So we've got Red Rock West made in 1993, and the movie had an interesting release schedule. It premiered at Toronto Film Festival. Where I think it, it I think it it, it it got really it got fairly good reviews at the festival, but it became popular in in Europe before it really took off in America, and it was actually released straight to home video in the states, and I think HBO bought it um, 
uh, as part of a deal with the company that had funded most of the movie. And it wasn't until um, the Roxy Theater in San Francisco started showing the movie that it really, I guess, that it really became a, a little bit more known in the States. Yeah. it's It sort of became one of those 90s HBO late night movies where people seen it, they, they probably saw it on HBO or maybe in an early video store they rented it because it's not one of those ones that was constantly re, um, you know, re, reprinted. So it kind of just faded into obscurity in the, in the early 90s, like kind of like, I don't know, The Arrival 2 or something oh, like yes. that. Like one of these, these movies that just kind of were made to just be on HBO or Showtime or something like that. And this is before, you know, The Sopranos and whatnot where you have a lot of viewers and it's prestigious. It's sort of like, okay, well – We'll just shovel movies on here, and uh, sadly, that's what happened to this movie. And um, while it's on DVD, and that's how I watched it, like it didn't had director commentary, and that's about it. And it was kind of, yeah, it wasn't really. Um, it was an older type of DVD, like it's obviously out of print, and uh, yeah, when, I mean, it wasn't expensive or like hard hard to get a hold of. I just took it from the library, and you can get it for cheap on Amazon, but still like. There's not much demand for this movie, not much awareness, at least in the U.S. Um, like I, like I, um, like Rudy mentioned, it did really well at the Toronto Film Festival, and it also had, um, I think, it won some awards in France. So it was, and like some people, um, when I commented that I watched Red Rock West on, on Facebook, I there's one. Yeah, one British guy's like, oh yeah, I saw in the theaters in the early '90s, and so even that statement is like showing that it's. It was at least released nationwide there, so it was just buried in here for some reason. Because, which is sort of confusing, because it's, I, you know, we'll get into this, but I really liked it, and it's definitely, um, yeah, it's a step ahead of other movies that come out like um, around that time, like uh, U-Turn by Oliver Stone, which is a very similar movie and not very good. That one's not very good, I mean, and so, uh, yeah. It had a really weird release schedule. It's, it's kind of a shame. So yeah, um, like I said, like, like you said um, that you really liked the movie. I mean, I, um, I'm gonna uh, spoiler alert. I, I really liked it as well. But we'll kind of obviously discuss that as we go along. Um, did you want to give us a quick overview of the plot? Okay, um, so the plot starts in Wyoming, and we have Nick Cage playing Michael Williams, and he is sort of a, let's say almost like a drifter. He's looking for work. He was in the Marines, and he was stationed in Lebanon in the early 80s, where um, in Beirut there was a uh, uh, Hezbollah bombed the where the uh, U.S. Marines were stationed, killing a lot of Marines. This is an actual event that happened. And in that event, the fictional character of Michael Williams, like, hurt his leg, so he has trouble getting employed. Anyway, the reason he's in Wyoming uh, is he traveled there from Texas to get a job at a, like, an oil rig with, um, he had a friend there who could get him a job, but they wouldn't hire him because of his leg. Leaving, he uses his last money to buy gas, and the gas uh, attendant tells him to go to a to uh, Red Rock, a uh, town that's nearby because they might have work. Michael goes to town and he meets uh, 
Wayne Brown, who's uh, being played by J.T. Walsh, who is a character actor I absolutely love. He always plays that sort of, uh, the, you know, the the evil the evil uh, townsperson. Yeah. And <laughs> J.T. Walsh is running a bar, and you know Nicholas Cage goes in there to get a cup of coffee. Uh, he th- he sees the Texas license plates and assume that Michael is an assassin he had called from Texas to kill his wife. So uh, so anyway, um, Wayne starts talking about you know the business proposition stuff and gives Nicholas Cage five thousand dollars, and Nicholas Cage goes oh, okay, kind of plays along. He goes to uh, the ranch that they own to to see Wayne's wife and the Wayne's wife is played by uh, Lara Flynn Boyle. Her name's Suzanne. And, um, during it, he kind of watches her for a bit. He sees that she's having an affair with a, um, I guess one of the, the cowboys that works there and probably figuring that's the reason is like, Oh, well he's just trying to kill her out of jealousy. So, you know, she's, she doesn't deserve it. She's relatively harmless. So he confronts her, pretends to be the assassin, tells her the, what the plan was, and she pays him $5,000 actually, yeah, $5, to kill Wayne. Instead, uh, Michael skips town, buying a whole bunch of groceries at a gas station in a sort of comical scene, and you see him drive past the yeah, Welcome to Red Rock sign. On the way, he it starts raining. He sees there's a guy whose car's broken down. And he gets in the middle of the road. Nick tries. I mean, uh, Michael tries to stop, but his car hydroplanes. He hits him. Michael takes him to the hospital, but at the hospital they retain him because uh, the guy's more than just hit by a car. He's got bullets in him. When the sheriff shows up, you see that it's Wayne from the bar earlier. So that sets up the dynamic that. Uh, the, both the villain and the person in power is the same person. So Wayne takes Michael on a ride and tries to kill him. Michael escapes, makes it to the highway, and almost gets run over by Dennis Hopper, um, who is playing Lyle, the actual assassin from Texas. Lyle gives um, M- Michael a ride to town, and Michael is completely unaware that this is the assassin. They go to Wayne's. Um, Michael realizes what's happening, goes to the bathroom, sneaks out the window, and eventually uh, gets a ride to the ranch where Suzanne still is. He tells her the truth. Lyle comes to kill her. They, Michael knocks him out. They drive off together. They go to a bar, get wasted, have a night of passionate sex. The next day, Suzanne wants to go back into Red Rock and rob her husband of the money they um, they still have together. Uh, when they get there, Wayne is arrested by the police because he's actually a um, – him and his wife embezzled, uh, I believe it was $2 million from uh, a power plant in Illinois and fled to Wyoming. And um, so he's taken away. Lyle shows up, beats, you know, uh, ties up Suzanne and Michael, and they bust Wayne out of prison. Then, uh, in a daring escape where they jump a train track, they go to the middle of nowhere to dig up this money 
that uh, the two of them had embezzled in a sort of like Mexican show off. Uh, the money and guns pass hands many times at the end of the movie. And finally, um, a Lyle gets impaled and shot. Wayne gets shot and stabbed in the neck. And Suzanne and Nicolas Cage escape on a nearby freight train on it. Suzanne is shown to be a femme fatale who is only motivation is greed. And she was using her looks all along to ensnare Michael. Uh, Michael tosses first the money out of the train and then her to the police who are catching up. And with a, uh, $5,000 stuck in the side of the train, he puts in his pocket and, Go in just like at the beginning where he was drifting, he lets the train take him wherever it may. Uh, roll credits. So, yeah, if, um, if, if I guess if the plot of the movie sounds complicated, uh, it, it's because it is, but I just I really like how the plot of this movie unfolds because, because this movie establishes itself as being like a neo noir, it's almost you, you you kind of go with everything that happens in this movie because it's not it's kind of like the the characters find themselves in this world or in this plot where coincidences and unexpected stuff just happens to them and that's i guess you'd say that that that's a fairly common trademark of a lot of the classic film noirs where mm-hmm. yeah it's almost as if there is an element of fight that's conspiring against these characters yeah definitely like when the movie first started i was like why did rudy suggest this movie how is this film noir it's like well let's they're on real countryside but as soon as michael goes into the bar and is drinking a coffee it's dark even though it's daytime and that it kind of that bar even though he's drinking coffee at it's sort of like the the opening shot of a bar or diner that you see like in you know we saw in like detour yes where it's like it starts in a diner or bar and it's going to unravel from there and right off the bat we have mistaken identity which is a a trope of a film noir and uh from that point on it just it's almost like a classic film noir story even though it's in a completely different setting with really different types of characters if that makes sense yeah, it does. And um, I also like the way that they set up the Michael character for us because there are two moments early in the movie where we see him being a fundamentally good character. The first one is when his friend, after he doesn't get the job at the oil rig, his friend says to him, hey, I can um, let me spot you a couple of bucks. And Nick Cage is like adamant that he doesn't want to accept money from his friend. Yeah. And, and he's only got five bucks left. So he's like, no, no, that's fine, really. So we see him and then you know, we see him drive away. And then uh, the gas station where he where he gets to the attendant, there's no, there doesn't seem to be anybody there. And he sees like he sees some cash behind the counter, which he sort of for a few seconds thinks about it. But then you can see him like kind of smiling and just shaking his head. And he's like, no, I'm not going to take the money. So... It's it's kind of you can see that this guy is basically he's an honest guy, and then he gets to the bar in Red Rock, and 
in that moment, he kind of makes the decision that obviously gets him into this this world of shit that's about to, to hit him. Yeah, that's that's one thing too. Is it's sort of like you know, crime a lot of times is described as like people out of desperation, and when you see him that big thing of money at the the gas station, it's like he's no reason not to take it. It's like mm. the guy's not around. The guy's just you know having his gas station open with money out. Mike has a bum leg. He's got nowhere to go. No food. He's about to spend his last five dollars. It's sort of like. In a theory, people who are back in that sort of corner would would steal, but even against all that, Michael doesn't. And he also, um, when he has the job interview, his his friend says, "Well, why did you tell him about your leg?" And he said, "Well, it wouldn't be right to to not tell him." So even though he he knew it would sabotage his his chance of getting a job, he still chose to not. He still he ch- still chose to to do the honest thing, and that's another film noir trope: is that you kind of have the uh, incorruptible character even though they're doing maybe doing bad things or like they're caught up in something that's bad they're still like a white knight if you will like um you can kind of see that in robert mitchum's character and out of the past or uh humphrey bogart in uh, the maltese falcon and sam spade they're sort of like they may get in to a love triangle or crime but they're they're incorruptible at the end of the day and by doing that it showed like okay well nicholas's cage nicholas cage's character is not going to cross certain lines and for the most part he's sort of just um a victim of circumstance the rest of the movie if for any violent actions he does do but he's still not um you know like he, he never becomes a bad person i don't know yeah no that's um like I, yeah, I, I I agree with that, and it's like you say that in, in film noir, the main character often has a, a moral code that that they live by, and I think there's a there's a quote from either Dashiell Hammett or Raymond Chandler in one of the books they wrote that's uh, where they talk about not necessarily film noir because I don't think the phrase would have been would have been coined back then, but it it goes something like down down these mean streets. A man must walk who who is who himself is not mean or something along those lines, which I guess describes the you know describes that world pretty accurately. Yeah, we we also have um, another trope of Philip Nora right out the way is that even though he's a moral code, he's sort of a like a a sad sap if you will, who's sort of like lured into it. And doesn't have the power to push the power to be off of him. Like we see this character in Detour, like the sad sap who's kind of just going along with it. He could just tell the woman to get lost, like the femme fatale, but like chooses not to, or maybe doesn't allow himself not to. He sort of like just gets roped in, and you we you know you see it in Out of the Past where Robert Mitchum falls passionately for. The femme fatale and kind of gives himself this illusion that she's a good girl and refuses to escape this sort of like man made, you know, like he kind of like a sad sap goes with the plot. You know, we see it in, um, also, no, yeah, and then you see it in this too. Like he is assertive enough to escape, keep escaping and whatnot, but he's not assertive enough to 
tell the femme fatale no or to refuse, you know, to like to truly get out until the end, if that makes any sense. He's sort of like a, the sucker who gets roped along. And that is one, a film noir thing as well. The sort of like sappy good guy who, who gets sucked into something bad and he has to be, get out, but he's too, at the same time, powerful enough to get out, but he's too powerless to have the will to, you know, spurn the femme fatale or to kill the, the villain, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think that's, uh, that's kind of, I think he, he a lot of the decisions he makes is because of that desperate situation that he's in. But I like the balance the film strikes because they don't make Michael a complete sad sap character like they did in, in Detour, for example. He, because he's an ex-marine, you know, he's capable of handling himself in certain rough situations. But it's like you said, it's just that it's just he's not forceful enough at. I guess in those key moments, uh, where if if he had been, he he would have just gotten himself out of the situation immediately, and then but then of course we wouldn't have a, a movie. So yeah, so I mean I'm I'm really liking really liking everything that happens in the movie, and then obviously that when he gets to the bar, that's sort of when the movie really kicks really kicks into gear. And he decides we we don't really know what what he's planning to do. He takes the money from Wayne, goes and sees the wife, and then tells her, "Hey, your husband is uh, trying to kill you because he paid me this money to do it." And then obviously Suzanne then offers him the same money to do the same job. And then, and I think in the in the plot summary you gave you. Um, you say that, yeah, he basically skips town. But before he does that, he actually writes that note to the sheriff. Right. Yeah. And 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 I think he's and and he's he's addressing that note to the sheriff of Red Rock. Yeah. yeah which obviously is kind of funny because Wayne is the sheriff as well. But that is the, does does that note ever come back in the movie at a later stage? It does because. Um when the uh, oh, the, de- the police, ar- de- police arrest Wayne, they show him um, the note. Oh yes, and then oh, that they got, and I think doing that, they made they looked into Wayne, and they found that he was there was a wanted poster for yes, him. Yes, that's right. No, yeah, you're correct. So the combination of both of those, um, yeah, is what gets him. And at the same time, it's like he asserts himself by writing the letter, but. He could go to the police and probably get out of things because the police almost solve it. That's like, oh, you're trying to pin this on the drifter. But he kind of like keeps going with the femme fatale and stuff to a point where he just kind of like escapes by the end. If that, mm. if that makes any sense. I thought, you know, he kind of uh, refuses to clear his name. In a way, I don't know. It's kind of uh, yeah. I thought yeah it was kind it's of it. it's an interesting situation because if he had, you know, because Wayne doesn't obviously Wayne doesn't really tell him the details of the job until they go into his office, which is behind the bar, and uh, yeah. in the bar all he says is, "Are you the guy from Texas?" about the job, and Nicholas Cage is like, "Yes," but if if he had just if then he had said, "Hey, no, sorry, you've you've got the wrong guy. I'm just here for some coffee," then 
obviously he he wouldn't have had any idea about what was going on and and he probably just would have left town so if whereas if he had this i guess if he had decided to do something about it after Wayne had told him about the plot, it would kind of be awkward if he was like. Oh, so you just told me you want me to kill your wife, but hey, I'm actually not the guy, so I'm just going to go. See you later. <laughs> oh, no, yeah. no, no. Not tell him. I mean, like, when he... Because he overhears the police. He watches the police arrest one. Oh, yeah, yes. And, 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 like, and, the, and the lighter scene. Yeah, he does. Yeah. Yeah, so he could come clean mm. and stuff, but he, he kind of... I think probably it's because he's in love with the femme fatale that he, he kind of keeps going, but... uh yeah, that's another thing you bring up though. That is, uh, that's in all the film noirs. Pretty much, I've seen is like they're victims of circumstance in a way. You know, like because he says yes, I'm the guy for the job. He's suddenly in this thing and just kind of like, um, and now the past, the former gangster drives by the gas station and sees him, or in uh, Detour, it's like he just picks up the hitchhiker, or he he gets picked up by. Uh, the guy who um, he gets picked up by Haskell and then later by ver- circumstance he picks up the crazy girl or in um, I don't really know if the, and then in uh, Dead or Alive the main character is a, is a victim of circumstance it's just sort of, this kind of idea of like um, you know almost like Greek like there's Greek gods if you will and it's like you're pre-selected for a tragedy or fate selects you to be embroiled in this thing, even though he's just a guy who was a Marine who lives in Texas, but the fate brings him to Red Rock to put him in this, like, you know, this, this assassination or this, like this murder attempt and stuff like that. Like it's sort of like powers outside of his own, not only make him a victim of circumstance to start with, but as we'll see, it's almost like the gods don't let him leave either. You know, like when he's trying to leave town, it starts pouring rain all yeah, of a sudden. Yeah, just like the minute he thinks he's he's he's, he's like he's scot free. You know, he's smiling, drinking his beer, and it's like the rain just all of a sudden comes pouring down. Yeah, and again, it's almost like Zeus raining down. Like yeah. again, it's like he's trying to escape his fate of being embroiled in this thing, and the gods won't allow it. Yeah, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. It's. Uh, Sorry, I don't know. I was watching the commentary on the past a couple of weeks ago, and that's one of the the film scholars said was like, "Oh, yeah, like um, fate being a victim of circumstance, and then fate that can't be changed is two main tropes of film noir, and how at least in that movie, it's like no matter what Mitchum does, the gods force him to get back to you know his his dark past, and in this one, it's." in a way kind of similar like it, every time he tries to do something it you know write the note leave town leave with the wife something always brings it back and it comes becomes comical too like we see the welcome to red rock sign like six times or something yeah like that. I, I love that i love that running gag that they establish it's like you know it's like this nightmare he's stuck in and he, he can't he can't get away from this town no matter what he does yeah I really, I really like that because at first it's like, uh oh, like because as it keeps going, the sign is it's the same shot of the same sign, but depending on how many times it's happened and what time of day it is, it kind of changes its meaning. So first it's like, oh, he's going to this town, and then 
when he comes back, it's like, oh no. And then by the end, it's just like a horror story. Yes. Like the town itself mm. is like has a hold on him. Yeah, it's sort of mm. yeah. Yeah. So he yeah. So he he tries to get away, but he hits the guy on the road. And then we, I guess we see again. He could have decided to just keep going, not not, and just leave the guy there. But he, we see him actually decide, oh, I'm going to take this guy to the hospital. And yeah, that's another mm. thing because he kind of stares off for a while. You're like, he could leave, and no one would ever know, and he'd be free with all his money and safe. And you're thinking this, and then mm. again, his moral compass, just like the money, is he thinks about it, but he's like, no, I have to go back, mm. and that's. Like his undoing in a way by being a good person. Yep. And so yeah, so he drops the guy to the hospital and that's when we we first see the two the two sheriff deputies arrive and then the sheriff arrives and I like the reveal that it's actually Wayne because he's got his you know, he has his head down when he enters and, and his hat is kind of obscuring his face and then there's the shot with him just looking up and you're like, Oh no, it's Wayne, dun dun I thought that was that was quite well done. Yeah, it was. Um, especially the first half of this movie, there's a lot of scenes like that where it's just like, oh no, mm. oh no, like you just kind of have the suspense and like kind of like twist of fate that you're like, oh man, he is fucked. Yeah. Like, like when he hits the guy and then go and then you see him go back and you see the welcome the red rock sign you're like oh man he's fucked yes. and then when Wayne's the sheriff it's like oh fuck <laughs> and then there's a, a third oh fuck moment coming up in a minute but the first time of the movie was just like oh shit like kind of almost like a like a butterflies in my stomach while watching it you know it was like just so suspenseful I guess yeah. and I I, I like the I, but I what I like a little detail that I liked is the 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 two sheriff deputies are actually and a lot of these movies, like the cops, are sometimes portrayed as being either incompetent or they're they're just douchebags. But yeah. both these deputies are actually kind of they're actually kind of good guys because one of them um, one of them says to Wayne because I think Wayne says something like, "Oh yeah, we've got to um, yeah we, we've we've got to hold this guy for a while." And the one deputy is like, "Well, like why like why do you want to keep him?" I mean. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he he hit this guy, but why would he, why would he have, hit, why would he hit this guy and, oh, and then bring him back to the hospital if he was intending to kill him or something like that? Or actually, I should have said that the doctor tells them that there were actually two that the, there were two bullets in the body as well, which yeah. which uh, which they didn't know at first. I thought it was just like a, like he just hit the guy, but then we find out the guy's actually been shot. Mm-hmm. But then, so then, but then I think Wayne is like, yeah, oh, you know, this guy's like a murder suspect. But the one deputy is like, well, you know, it's it's weird. Why would he shoot the guy and then bring him to the hospital? That doesn't make sense. So I, I just like that little detail that that you kind of see that this, at least this one deputy is actually kind of an an intelligent character. He's not just like either like the small town policeman douchebag or he just doesn't know what's going on. Yeah, it's true because they kind of paint him like douchebags when they, when Nicholas Cage first meets yes. him. He's, he's trying to leave. Like, where are you going? Mm. Why are you holding me? It's like, for murder. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, God, yeah. these guys are going to be the antagonists. But mm. then almost immediately after, there's that revelation. And then as viewers, we get that satisfaction of them being douchebags to Wayne later on. Yep. Like, you come into a recipe, it's like, 
yeah, <laughs> maybe we are. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so. Yeah. So anyway, and then um, obviously Wayne, so then Wayne takes Michael and his, and his, and his truck and they're, and they're driving somewhere and you said that there was another, there was, there was like another, um, um, like, oh fuck moment coming up. Is this the one you're talking about? Oh, uh, no, it's when, um, it's after Michael escapes. When he, I'll get to it. So anyway, yeah. uh, let me, let me, I'll tell it. So, um, yeah, so Wayne lets him go, but so that he could shoot him and say he was trying to escape. Yes. Michael makes it out, rolls down a hill and almost gets hit by Dennis Hopper. This is the old fuck moment. We're like, oh, mm. oh, wow, I forgot Dennis Hopper's in this movie. Yeah, that's right. He's on the box. So I completely forgot. <laughs> and my brain wasn't making the obvious connection there. And then, you know, he gets in Dennis Hopper's car and I drive away and you see a Texas license plate. And that, that was the old fuck moment where I was yes. like, oh, shit, he's the assassin. Mm. Like, it was just like, oh, fuck. I'm like, just like, this guy can't get a break. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> and then when they sh- and then there's a little bit of oh fuck moment where they show up at Wayne's place. It's like, oh man, you escaped only to come right back to where Wayne's gonna go. It's just like Yeah, and then Dennis Hopper is like uh, his character's name's Lyle, and Lyle's like, Man, you've like you've gotta come and have a drink with me and, and Nicolas Cage is really trying not to go into the bar and then and then Lyle eventually is like, What are you like you took you took good to have a drink with me? And so Nicolas Cage finally is like, Okay, shit, I've gotta go and have a drink, otherwise the situation is just going to get worse. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I like I, I just I like the scene with them in the car because they kind of bonding because they were both they were both in the Marines. Um, Lyle yeah. Lyle was in Viet was obviously he was in Vietnam. Michael was in Lebanon, so that was a nice scene of them kind of bonding. And they haven't really set up Dennis Hopper's character yet as the assassin or as the crazy guy. So you kind of think that oh yeah, he's not a he's he's a nice guy. He's not you know he's not too bad. Um, and obviously we know that that's not the case, but a nice. Yeah, it's the know. thing too is it, when you see the Texas license plate, the, the viewer knows it's the assassin. Yeah. yeah. But you're watching Nicholas Cage just be like, oh yeah, this guy's nice. Mm. You know, it's just like, oh my god, you gotta Nicholas Cage. You gotta know he's, he's the assassin. Yeah. You know, you just want to tell Nicholas Cage because you don't want to see Nicholas Cage hurt. Yeah. Um. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, yeah, that's right. He, he the moment he realizes it is when Lyle is at the bar and and he asks the barman is is Wayne here and yeah. and and he says something about yeah I've got to speak to him about a job or something like that and it's in that moment that Michael uh, yeah, yeah. yeah because the guy's like is it important he's like yeah he's I should have been here over a week ago oh. and that's exactly what Wayne said to Nicolas Cage when he first got there so yeah. Um, yeah, that's Hopper character. I don't know how I feel about it because at first I'm like, oh, they're bonding. I'm like, maybe he'll be an ally. And I kind of wondered if Nicholas Cage had played it differently, like gone to the bar right away or whatever, would Dennis Hopper and him have worked together? At the same time, I love Dennis Hopper, and he kind of just played a Dennis Hopper role as a kind of deranged southerner, you know, like. Again, I guess, and so he's kind of just—he's just the Dennis Hopper character, I guess. When when it gets down to it, like later in a movie when he's just acting crazy, like when he's screaming when they're driving, it's sort of like the there's not as much depth to this character as you, you think at first. I was a little bit disappointed. No, and um, it's interesting you bring it up because that—that I think that that would be the the one aspect of the movie that I um that I'm unsure about is Dennis Hopper's character because once he starts. You know, once he starts getting into his into his blue velvet mode, um, 
I feel like it doesn't derail the movie, but it adds maybe it's it adds a little bit of a more of a black comedy element to the movie because because we've seen Dennis Hopper play this character before and you know and it's kind of like oh yeah okay, you know he's just going to be doing his Dennis Hopper thing now and um, it yeah I think it ends up making the character not as menacing as as he could have been so yeah it also kind of just makes him one dimensional it's like okay now he's just the evil and also crazy assassin mm. who there's no hope for yes. the only way he this movie's gonna end is with him dead because he's now no longer a human being in a way you know it's just like he's just evil yeah. especially later on he's like he's crazy like you know I don't want to skip ahead too much but just like when Michael's driving them and Dennis Hopper's like wow it's amazing driving and stuff but then Michael's like just not talking Dennis Hopper's like you think you're better than me I could shoot in the head right here. Mm. Woo, I'm crazy. Yeah. I'm just going to shoot yeah. the gun off. It's like, whoa. <laughs> like, he's no longer a rational human being who is a full character. He's just like a evil archetype, you know? Yeah. And w- when I was reading some trivia about the movie, it said that the that John Dahl, the, the, the director, actually wanted – initially, he wanted Dennis Hopper to play the role of Wayne and – Dennis Hopper then kind of convinced him that he'd rather play the the crazy hitman, which I guess <laughs> from an actor's point of view, that's probably that's obviously the more flashy, showy kind of role. So you kind yeah. of understand why Dennis Hopper wanted to do that. And I mean, and, and I really like J.T. J. Walsh in that role because we've you know we've talked about what a good character actor he was and. Um, you know, if Dennis Hopper was that character, he would have either he would have had to been really restrained the whole movie, or yeah. if if he had gone off the rails towards the end, I don't know if that would have worked with or would have fit with the character. Yeah, I mean, we've seen him sort of like that character, sort of like the the trusted townsperson who's actually like evil. Um, what's cop popping in my brain right now is in land of the dead he's like the kind of like the mayor of this town who's like respected but he's actually really corrupt and so i think we would have seen that performance but there just seems to be a trend of early 90s um dennis hopper just having fun roles and i think actors just do that after a while like the last few movies giant depp's been in it's just like him acting crazy you know you have uh well, so well, I guess Nicolas Cage these days is sort of doing that Dennis Hopper thing in a way. Yes. And I think it's just sort of like you get to a point where you're like, I'm tired. You know, Dennis Hopper was a huge actor in the late 60s and 70s where he was more like an auteur actor. And now it's sort of like, well, I got bills to pay and stuff. Acting's fun. I don't want to do anything that's too serious. So I'm just going to have fun with it. And he just kind of picks roles like that in the 90s. Like around this time he does the awful Mario Brothers movie. Oh, yeah. Like I said – uh, Blue Velvet. He's in uh, Waterworld as sort of this character. Yeah, he's too. a bad guy. Waterworld. Um, the big one was um, was Speed as well. Yeah, that's right. That's ninety four. Mm. This is all like in I think Mario Brothers was like ninety three or ninety four. Speed's ninety four. Waterworld's ninety four, ninety five, or something like that. You got um. Yeah, so he just was having fun like this, um, and I think. Yeah, I think it was just in a phase. Well, later on, yeah. So I, I, I like it the way it is. I guess like I like J.T. Walsh a lot, and um, I'm sad he died really young. He was 
don't know. He's such a good character actor. I watched him in, um, I saw Breakdown a couple, few months ago. That's with uh, Kurt Russell. Oh, yeah, that's life. another good movie. I, I remember seeing that in the cinemas, actually. Yeah, and uh, it's pretty good. It's like a lot of twists, suspenseful. And J.T. Walsh plays a similar character where he's like this trucker who, when you first meet him, it's like, oh, yeah, he's really nice and stuff. And then he's like the most evil guy in the movie. And in this one, too, a little bit. Like, they make it sort of like he's he's bad, but he's bumbling. And it isn't until the end that you're like, wow, this guy's a real dick. You know, like mm. – he, he screws over all of them, I guess. Yeah, although he he does make he he does make an effort to kind of try and control Lyle to not go completely crazy because he he doesn't actually I don't think he doesn't actually want anybody to get killed. He just basically wants to get I think he wants to get the money obviously, and he knows that he has a gun and that and that coffin, and then maybe, I don't know, if he, if he was only planning on killing Lyle, and I don't know what else he was going to do, but he, he kind of seems to make an effort to control the situation towards the end. It is true, like, he no longer is concerned about killing his wife yeah. or Michael, it mm-hmm. seems like, which I thought was cool. Yeah. Because I feel like in real life, he wouldn't really, you wouldn't, at that point, it's like, well, you wouldn't care. And in a way, Michael like kept him alive too. Like Michael tries to. Anyway, we're getting ahead of yeah, ourselves. Yeah, a little bit ahead of ourselves because I guess the next section of the movie before we kind of get to the climax is the is the femme fatale section of the movie. Yeah, it's. Uh... So when like when did you? I also wait. Uh, yeah. I want to pull up real quick. I I liked his escape from the bar, like how Michael goes to the roof and uses the plankton on the truck, because he's trying to like balance his way across. And there's all these amazing shots of like both uh, Wayne and Lyle looking for him. And the way it's shot is it's this camera shooting up. So you see Nicholas Cage like balancing goofily above them while they they look back and forth. And coming in and out of frame, I'm like, oh man, it was like really uh, suspenseful. You just expected then the one of them to stop and just look behind them, you know. I like that. I like that scene a lot. Yeah, it's a it's a really suspenseful scene, and it shows it shows how suspenseful you can make a scene without having, you know, lots of lots of like gunshots or car chases. It's it's just an, like it's an intimate scene, but it's it creates such a level of suspense, and especially when when Lyle notices the like the the ladder that goes up to the roof, you, that's like you're like oh shit he's he, he, get, he has to get off that roof now otherwise he's you know Dennis Hopper is going to see him. So yeah. yeah, so yeah, a really well like really well crafted scene. Um, yeah, I, I just I enjoy scenes like that in movies because a lot of obviously a lot of action in movies these days are just quite are quite tedious and they're just it's the same old thing. Whereas this this whole scene is kind of this whole scene works because you really care about Michael as a character and you want him to get away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was really suspenseful. And I think that's, um, you know, credit to the filmmaking because if if you were to stop and be rational, you go, okay, well, it's pretty early in the, the movie. Nothing's going to happen to Michael. You know, he's probably going to escape. Like, he's not probably not going to get captured at this point. But at the same time, you get so engrossed because of the way it's shot. It's like, oh my God, is he going to get out of there? And it's sort of like silly when you think about it. Like, of course it's going to get out of there. But just the filmmaker, you know, the way it's filmed, it's just, it, it just gets that knot in your stomach. I, I really liked it. So, yeah. Anyway, we should move on though, like to the femme fatale. You want to Yeah, so um, he, 
obviously obviously he escapes on the truck and then kind of makes his way back to the to to, to the ranch where the where the wife is you know as well obviously the wife is still there and he and he says and he basically says tells her that yeah i'm the i'm the fake hitman but the real hitman is here got to get out of here and blah 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 and that's it was another fairly good scene because dennis hopper arrives you know ready to kill her and Nicolas Cage manages to overpower him, and I'm kind of wondering w- w- at what scene around this period of the movie did you go, oh yeah, she's the femme fatale. Um, was there a specific scene that kind of showed her in that light where you're like, oh shit, this this chick is greedy and she's gonna fuck him over at some stage? I the first time he meets her actually because she's like, oh, I'll pay you double to kill my husband. Oh yeah. I was just like, oh, she's not a good person. Like, if she was good, she'd be like, oh, leave me alone. Or then maybe she'd be like, oh, I'd pay you to just leave. Mm. But instead, she's like, I'll kill my husband now. And she just looks so stone cold about it. And so when he goes back and he does it, I was like, why are you doing this? And then I was like, oh, I guess it's not clearly established yet that she's a femme fatale. Um, And in fact, he's being a good person because since she thought she dealt with the assassin – She's not worried right now, and so if he didn't show up, Dennis Hopper's character would have killed her. So, again, it's just like moral compass, like, oh, instead of saving myself, I have to go back and, and get her out of there, even though he doesn't really know her. So, yeah. Yeah, so I, I guess I like how the movie kind of, yeah, it kind of sets up her character right from the start as that, you know, she is going to be the femme fatale, but she's not in she's not in full femme fatale mode right at the beginning. She's she's a little bit cold, you know, a little bit icy, and then but it's then when they escape together and they're in the bar, kind of that's when she sort of starts to turn on the the, the charm, and she's like, you know, like you're a I don't know, she says something like you you're a, you're a good guy, aren't you, Michael? And like they get drunk together and obviously end up you know end up having sex and stuff, and that's kind of when she becomes the full on femme fatale. You know, she's got a she's got a she's got a stranglehold on him. And I, I, I like the way Lara, Lara Flynn Boyle plays this character. She, she's an actress that I think just hasn't had enough good roles o- over the years. Because I've seen her in some other movies, but this has to, I think this has to be one of her best roles um, for me and, and comparing with what I've seen her in other movies. Yeah, I really liked her in the movie Happiness, the, the Todd oh, Smith yeah. movie. Oh. Yeah. She's real awesome in that, mm-hmm. but she's kind of... The problem with her is she always plays vain roles, mm. and I mean, I don't want to get into a, a celebrity thing, but she seems kind of like a vain person because I saw a picture of her recently on uh, IMDb, and she's not that old, but it's obvious that she's had a lot of plastic surgery done, and so if that's how it is, then she's, you know, mm. it's probably why she got cast in roles like, in this movie it works because she's a femme fatale, but in movies like Men in Black 2, which is annoying, so um oh yeah she was in that true yeah it's just like make her boobs big or something mm-hmm. to like seduce the cops at the uh, it's just, yeah know. i'm trying to think i don't think i've actually seen her in any movie where she plays just a like a nice kind of really likable character the only movie that comes to mind is a movie she did called threesome with um it's basically this this movie about a not really a love triangle but she kind of uh, forms, I think it, it takes place at a college somewhere, and she forms this kind of relationship with these two other guys that she's 
I think that she's like sharing a room with, and it's like it's it's like a comedy most of the time. But she she plays kind of a likable character in that. But that's the only thing that comes to mind. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, I think one one thing that's a cold sign that she's like a real femme fatale and not just like maybe cold hearted is the um, the getting drunk at the bar is premeditated. Mm. Like at first she's like, oh, well, we have to get out of town as fast as possible. And then they stop for gas. And she's like, oh, well, I'll be across the street in the bar. So he goes there and he's like, she's like, oh, what are you drinking? He's like, well, we need to get out of town as fast as possible, right? She's like, oh, mm. well, let's have a couple of drinks. And so she, at that point right there, it's premeditated to get him so drunk he can't leave. Seduce him to get her hooks in him. And then her real plot is to steal all that money that she embezzled with Wayne. Like, that's her true love that we come to see at the very end of the movie, you know? And it's premeditated before they even start drinking. I think that's, like, the, you know, the biggest, you know, it was, like, a real, like, in other movies, it's a little bit more gradual that they're femme fatale. In this one, it's, like, premeditated, like, Black Widow spider, like, uh, <laughs> like type of stuff. It's just, like, oh, mm. what I'm going to do is go to the bar, have him chase me, get him drunk have sex with him, he'll love me, and then I'll use him mm. to get this money. Yeah. It's just like, you know, she's completely thinking about it like that, and I think that's mm. why she's so evil. And there's even a way that she's, that the way that she talks to him when he's filling up the, the car with gas, she says something like, oh, how are you planning on paying for that gas? And he's like, oh, I've got, you know, I've got about 80 bucks left or something, and then it's just the way that she asks, she asks him for some of the money, and she's like, oh, I want to go and buy some groceries or I want to go to the bar or something like that. It was just, you can kind of already see her starting to manipulate him. Yeah. Yeah, then she obviously uses her, her body to, to as well. Like She's like, oh, mm. I got a better idea. And, it's like, and then she innocently looks at the like motel right next to him. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Question: During the sex scene, do we see Nicolas Cage's penis? <laughs> no, I don't think so. I I didn't notice that at all. So she's like kissing him down. It looks like she kisses uh, right by his penis. Okay. <laughs> I was like, whoa. Yeah. No, no, they don't. They don't. They don't go that far. They kind of you kind of see her just like un- unzipping the, the like the top of his jeans, but then nothing after that. So it could have just been kissing around. Maybe he was wearing like. You know, uh, yeah, like it's not like I mean, it's it's but, this movie's from 1993, so it would have been pretty extreme to show something like that in the movie. Um, I guess, yeah, yeah. it's, it's kind of weird how, like, in the 70s, you could see a penis and then it kind of regressed, and now we're getting back to the point, uh, a point where we can see penises again. Yeah, it, it is that it, that's that's an interesting trend. Um, could be a topic for future discussion about how <laughs> we should have a whole episode on it. We'll, yeah, yeah. We'll talk, we'll talk about you know, yeah. Um, Michael, uh, what's his name? Um, uh, My, wait, Michael Chapman is that who it is? The Monty Python oh, guy. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Life of Brian. You see his penis, okay. but it's a PG movie. Yeah, yeah. But then, you know. But then it's come a long way, and now we see Doctor Manhattan's penis in the Watchmen movie. Yes. You know, it's just yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that, anyway. that, that's an interesting topic. Like, I mean, the, the, I think there's something there about how, like, how sex and violence is portrayed in American cinema versus, say, you know, European cinema or other or other cultures. Um, there's definitely a difference there. 
Yeah, that would that might be cool. Well, I mean, we're getting off topic, yeah. but that would be cool. Maybe you do like a a European movie that's considered normal that has a lot of sex, mm. and then maybe how I feel how it's portrayed, then maybe like a super violent American movie or something like that, because mm. it seems to be. Anyway, let's let's get back anyway, to the movie. Yeah, slight so they go back. She convinces uh, Nicholas Cage to uh, go back with her to Wayne's office, which is a little bit suspenseful because. We know ahead of time that Lyle is meeting Wayne in his office at something like nine in the morning. So they go back there, they get the stuff, and um, Wayne's arrested. And this is another um, film noir thing: is uh, the idea of like your past catching up with you. Yes. So it's sort of like uh, at this point, his past catches up catches up with him. Like out of the past, the fact that he embezzled his money comes back. So. That becomes a thing. Dennis Hopper shows up and punches him in the face, and uh, they're gonna break Wayne out of jail. This see, this part of the movie kind of was a little. I don't know. It got like really actiony for a little bit. Like they kill the cop, and then outrun a train. It was still kind of awesome, but uh, yeah, felt I, a little I, yeah. bit less subtle than the rest of the movie. Yeah, I'm sort of thinking if it was was it really necessary for Lyle to to just shoot that one policeman sort of point blank? Or, you know, could he not have just, you know, knocked him unconscious or something? Or, um, but I mean, I guess at this stage, I mean, this is pretty much where Dennis Hopper, where, where Lyle pretty much goes off the rails in the movie. So he obviously doesn't care about killing a, killing a policeman or, busting a guy out of jail what i do like about this whole sequence again is that the one deputy is you know dennis hopper starts to fire in that abandoned house outside of town to lure the cops away but then the one the one deputy kind of figures out what's going on he's like yeah you stay here i'm gonna go check out the fire and then when he realizes that it was just like it seems like a random fire that just started he's like oh hang on like maybe it's like a diversion or a distraction and yeah. he goes back to town sees the dead policeman wayne's been busted out of jail and yeah and then it basically becomes like a a bit of a maybe like a, a bit of a chase movie for like the final 20 minutes yeah i really liked uh i'm not gonna lie it was amazing stunt work with the car jumping the uh the tracks in front of the train because oh, it was real. Mm-hmm. Like you don't see stuff like that anymore. Uh, it was just like, oh, awesome! Yeah, it was. It was. Uh, yeah, it, was, like it my- was really well done. And I like. And, and Lyle just Lyle, Lyle goes crazy while it's happening. He's like, he's like, woohoo, and shouting and stuff while they're chasing the train. <laughs> yeah, he's just like having this crazy adrenaline yeah. rush, which you see Dennis Hopper's character having a lot of movies yeah. like Mario Brothers or Waterworld or whatever, and so. And once he kills the cop, he kind of goes into this is a irrehensible like villain who has no mm. like uh, compassion for human life, and he's crazy. And from that moment on, he pretty much acts like this this because he screams when they jump the track, and then soon after he's like going crazy in the car, like yeah, yeah, and then he's like, ah, oh, you too good, huh? We we'll just shoot the guns. Mm. It's just like, whoa, man. We, we get it. You're crazy. You have to die in the next scene, you know? And so, uh, yeah. But it, it's a cool jump. Um, that's a little bit of, uh, yeah. Anyway, 
we'll talk about later. Let's let's move on to the cemetery. Yeah, so I kind of um, like that 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 that, uh, that I guess the climax takes place in the cemetery because it it almost adds a bit of a it kind of adds a bit of a like a horror movie element to it. Like it's mm-hmm. really atmospheric because obviously it's night, you know, the cemetery out somewhere. Um, so just a, like a really nice setup for the. I guess kind of Mexican standoff that is gonna happen. Yeah, and um, yeah, I got I don't know. This this whole fight scene was kind of like up and down for me. I loved it when Dennis Hopper has a knife come out of his sleeve and gets Wayne in the throat, mm. and so for the rest of the scene, Wayne's like yeah. on the ground <laughs> like that. Um, I didn't like. They really try to push the whole marine um, imagery. They're like, ah, oh, you're just going to be one more dead marine. And then oh, yeah. Dennis Hopper's going to stab him on the monument to marines helping each other. It's like, ugh. And then Michael stabs him. It was sort of like a, Oh, okay. I didn't realize that that's what that monument was, actually. Yeah, it's like the uh, – it's the marine holding another marine, mm. like helping him up. And I think it's like the gun on the Marine's shoulder is what stabs him. Oh right? yes, okay. So you found that? If you find, if did you find that that symbolism that symbolism a little too obvious? Just a little too cheesy, yeah. to be honest. Mm. Uh, and then you have the kind of I didn't like the double fake out with uh, with uh, Suzanne because at first she's like holding the gun to Michael. You're like, oh shit. Mm. She's going to kill him and take the money, but then she shoots Dennis Hopper, yeah. and you're like, okay. But then two seconds later on the train, it's the exact same scene again, where it's like, oh, she's going to shoot him, or she's going to take the money. You know, you don't yeah. – it's just kind of like – you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Although I do like – what I do like about that final scene is that Nicolas Cage knows that that gun doesn't have any bullets in it because he saw Dennis Hopper take the bullets out of the gun before he – before he before yeah. he before he gave the gun to Wayne a little bit earlier, mm-hmm. so Nicholas Cage, yeah, you know, so Michael is like, you know, he's kind of not he's not worried at all. He, that's kind of where you can see him finally kind of coming into his own, and he's like, yeah, you're just a greedy femme fatale, and um, you know, this is the end of the line for you, basically. Yeah, I love how he just is like, yeah, get the hell out of yeah. here. He just like throws her off yeah. the train. Yeah, well, he throws the money out and he's like, yeah, you want to go and get it. He just pushes her off the train. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. And then she's like, you know, she gets picked up by the cops. Yeah. And then he's just uh, back back being a drifter. Yeah, I mean, he's got, I he's, he's got a bit of money now. So he's a little bit, I don't know, a little bit better off than he was in the beginning. But, it, um, but I do like the ending though. I think, you know, if this movie had taken place in the, in the, in the 1940s, do you think that his character would either have been killed and or arrested? Yeah, that's the thing was, I wrote that on my notes, it's a lame happy ending. Like everything is like, instead of Robert Mitchum going out with the femme fatale at the end, like getting killed or whatever, give him being like, oh, we're going to prove the audience multiple times in in the most obvious way that she is evil and she's greedy and there's no you know she deserves like blah 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 like kind of like what they do with the Dennis Hopper character it's like they make him evil so he can be killed they make Wayne 
evil so he can be maimed, mm. he may survive, right? Because he's still kind of like, yeah. when the cops show mm. up. And then they make it obvious multiple times. And then especially on the train, there's like a whole like monologue about how it's like, it's all about the money. We'll do what, you'll do what I want. Like, to firmly get in our like dumb idiot heads that she's evil. Mm. And then he gets the half sappy, happy ending where he just like goes away with money. It's sort of like, I felt like it was kind of a cop out, but I think it's also part of the times like in the eighties and nineties, I think it's rare to have downer endings mm. like we saw in the original film, the wars, you know? Um, yeah, if it had, if I mean, if they had done this movie today, it it could potentially have been bleaker, and it could have had a bleak ending. But I mean, I I don't I kind of like because it's I kind of like the happy ending because if because I like the character of Michael, he's fundamentally a good guy. Yes, he makes he makes some bad decisions in the movie, but you know the only person that he actually kills in the movie is is Lyle and 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 even that he, he doesn't even kill him right cuz he gets back up in the Suzanne case. Oh yeah true and i mean and even the way that 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 Lyle gets impaled is almost like it was an accident because Michael was kind of just trying to make sure that he doesn't get impaled and and he kind of just he kind of swings Lyle around on the chain so it's almost like it was an accident when he gets impaled yeah, I mean, it's like um, he's – the movie really tries to make it so he's guiltless. I think that's what I thought was lame. Yeah. Like we see other white knights in other movies. Like again, out in the past, uh, you see Robert Mitchum is sort of like – he doesn't really do anything bad, but he still – the movie still paints him as like mm. he is bad because he unintentionally caused all this death and destruction. Even though it's not his fault, it's the evil people around mm. him. That's why it's like sad, but okay that he dies. Spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. If you if you know if you know anything about film noir from the forties or fifties, then it's not much of a spoiler. So. Yeah, they mostly die. Yeah. Um, and so with this movie, it's sort of like it paints like, oh no, they make sure he's guiltless. Like even in self defense, he doesn't kill anyone, you know. And it's so they try to make the whitewashing too much nearer the end, I don't know, I found it kind of lame and a very, like, 90s end to the movie, you know? Yeah, it does. Like, it goes for the happy ending. Like I said, I, did, I don't mind it because if I if I care about the main character, then I would rather see them have a, have a, 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 have a good ending unless they, you know, unless they actually, unless they went off the rails and murdered somebody and, but, you know, I mean, the worst thing Nicolas Cage does in this movie is really just, you know, he doesn't get himself out of the situation when he could have and he gets involved with this femme fatale but other than that he had yeah he, he hasn't committed i think any kind of serious crimes that warrants him being arrested or or even getting killed well i mean that's, that's what i'm saying like i don't think he sh- i'm not like unhappy that he didn't die or that he wasn't arrested i'm more unhappy that it's like they tried so hard to Make sure you were aware oh, yes. that nothing he did was remotely evil. Yeah. You know, even the way the way Dennis Hopper gets stabbed, the fact he gets back off and then shot, like, that was like the one moment of like, oh man, in def- defense he killed that guy. It's like, nope, not even that. And then the fact that they made sure to paint all the different characters like in a, a double coat of 
Lyle is so evil he deserves to die, and she is so evil she deserves to be arrested. Maybe not die, but blah, blah, blah. You know, like, she's kind of like, the movie tries too hard to be like, okay, idiot viewer, we're not going to make this ambiguous or have you think about it all. We're going to, like, paint it for you as, like, like cliches, like, right right in the last act, you know, and I didn't like yeah, that. Yeah, they, I agree. They, they do, I mean, they do this in a lot of movies. They do, they spell things out for you, which they don't really need to do. I think like that very last scene in the train they could have just had they could have just had her pick up the gun and be like yeah be like you know give me the money this is the end of the line for you and just keep it minimal and then Nicolas Cage because he knows the gun is not loaded he's just like sorry babe or something and then chucks the money and chucks her out of the train basically Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. or maybe they could go off together, and you see that she still has a gun. So it's like, oh, she didn't kill him, but she's still not like he's still ensnared or something like that. That'd be interesting too. Yeah, true. Um, again, I mean, I, I hate to go to Out of Past again. I don't know if by the last podcast I had seen it or not, but this movie draws a lot on Out of the Past. It's sort of like he gets wrapped up in this wife plot. So like in out of the past, it's to find the wife and this one, it's to kill the wife and out of the past he finds and falls in love. And this one, he finds her and falls in love. And the other one, it's the, um, other gangsters that get, you know, one of the guys gets killed and the other gangsters getting, you know, involved kind of somewhere in this one. And the end of that one, the femme fatale kills, her husband yeah. and then is sort of forcing the protagonist to go with her to Mexico with the money. And she's like, I'm in charge. I'm going to call the shots. And the same thing happens in this one where doesn't she shoot Wayne again while he's like laying on the ground with a knife in his neck? Right. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And then she's like, give me the money. We're going to be together. We're going to go off to get, we're going to go, to no she wants to go to mexico yeah, too yeah. right she's like oh we're gonna go to mexico and it's fine you know you just the money's mine and basically like oh i'll be calling the shots it's like the same it's it's a real like uh, i thought it was really similar but instead of going out in bullets with the police he throws all the money and her to the police so i thought it was i, I don't know i thought there were parallels there and why not because out of the past is such a like prototype of the noir movie i'm sure if this guy was trying to make a noir movie for himself or him and his brother who wrote mm. and john Dole's brother who co-wrote it with him and then john Dole who directed it if they're using old noir as inspiration i'm sure out of the past would be one of the prime examples that they would would have watched and taken inspiration from yeah, yeah. no i've, I've yeah I've, I've got no doubt that that would have been an influence because it is such a classic example of film noir but i w- while i was watching red rock west i did i was thinking a lot about detour as well because there are similarities between those movies and i feel like red rock west is it's 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 funny to compare these movies because they were made like 50 years apart but it's, I feel like Detour wanted to be a movie like Red Rock West turns out to be, but yeah. it's, but it's just it's not it's just not nearly as good, you know. The, and and Detour, the main character is just such a such a sad sap, you know. He and he tries to blame his situation on fate, nothing that he's done. Um, Whereas you know, if yeah, I feel like Red Rock West is a, a really good example of how to make that kind of movie or tell that kind of story 
and and just a really effective way and and and, a, and an entertaining way where you actually like the characters and detour um just doesn't really manage that uh to any level of success yeah because even um yeah i didn't even like it like i'd read i've read a lot of stuff since watching detour mm-hmm. and one of the problem the, the main things is that he um he's retelling the whole story and so that he is actually a villain but he's painting himself innocently mm-hmm. But it's it's done in such a way where the character's so annoying to watch you can't even get into it. Like um, they do the same thing in in Rashomon, where like you know the it, it, they may tell their own story and it's fake, but it's only for a little bit, and you kind of see how they are, so you can compare it. While in Detour, it's not really clear. I feel like in Red Rock West, it's sort of like um, similar circumstances, but they yeah, I feel like they give them at least Michael more of a, a three-dimensional part to him like especially with the opening shot that he won't take the money and stuff like that if, if it didn't have things like that at the beginning it'd be a little bit more muddled but because they try and make it clear like hey this is how he is and he's not going to cross certain lines it's much easier to uh, to follow while in Detour it's like oh is he a bad guy or is he a good guy it's a little bit like people find um that debate interesting i found him more just annoying so yeah. I, I see what you're saying i guess is what i'm trying to say yeah and i think i mean i know we know that detour was made on like a really really low budget but i think you know red rock west i think was made i think its budget was something like seven million dollars so if you compare the two movies they were their budgets probably weren't too dissimilar if you i mean detour mm-hmm. detour was probably still made more on the cheap but i don't think there's that big a difference between the two movies because they take place in fairly confined settings. Um, yeah. And but Red, yeah, I mean, I I think Red Rock West is easily the the best of the three movies we've watched for this film noir discussion. Well, actually, to be honest, I'm kind of conflicted because Red Rock West, I like the narrative and plot the most. Yeah. But in terms of like things that'll stay with me forever i feel like the stranger had some of the most interesting shots and scenes of any of the movies and i feel like while i didn't like the stranger too much overall like the shot of him sawing the ladder and in, in darkness and um stuff and, and you know like a lot of the the scenes like the chase through the the gym those are masterful shots that i believe red rock west doesn't have yeah. and so there's like a lot more of a lot more art, I think, in The Stranger. At the same time, as overall, like, you know, uh, plot-driven narrative with using, you know, like, you know, sight and sound to to show a plot. I guess, like, unveiled. Mm-hmm. I guess uh, Red Rock West is definitely the best because the other movies we saw were like a little bit. The plot's what got got in the way. Well, maybe it was more of the annoying characters in, in Detour, but, like, still, this one had the most solid, like, okay, there's a beginning, middle, and end. Yes. That's believable, while, like, in The Strangers, like, he gives himself away, and he gets kind of crazy, and then in Detour, it just kind of muddles along, so, 
Yeah. So while I like this one the most, I feel like the most masterful one was The Stranger. Yeah, The Stranger is when it was directed by Orson Welles, and it, it's got some stylistic flourishes to it, which you've mentioned. And I mean, I think I, but I think the the the, the acting by Orson Welles and and Edward G. Robinson would is probably what would stay with me from that movie as as well. And and Red Rock West. I like. I think the, all of the actors are great, uh, except I think you know Dennis Dennis Hopper just gets a little too too over the top at the end of the movie, which um, yeah, which is sort of one of the one of the few um, I guess things about this movie that is not that great for me. Well, to be honest, I felt like the first half of the movie is really like well shot and suspenseful and takes its time. Mm. But once they go back to Wayne's office and they're hiding in the closet, I felt that the rest of the movie is sort of like a muddled mess with who has the gun at this moment mentality. Yeah, you know? yeah. And I kind of I got bored from that point to the end of the movie. Not bored like, ugh, mm. I don't wish I was watching this, but I feel like it kind of got cliche. It got a little bit like normal Hollywood, a little bit like, oh. It kind of reminded me actually of the end of um, – the Maltese Falcon, where it's like, it's like, oh, who's going to be the fall guy? When's the Falcon mm. going to get here? Who is the gun? And it just keeps going forever. That's kind of how the end of this movie was. And in both films, I feel like it takes away from the first half, especially in this one. Like the way it's kind of like it unravels is there's mystery and shadow and you know suspense, and then the second half is just like straightforward character cliches and action. You know, like, I just, I don't know. So, the movie let me down a little bit. But with the second Mm -hmm. half. Yeah. I still liked it a lot, but... Yeah, I'd I'd agree with that. It does kind of... um, It starts to rely just a little bit on too much sort of action, on certain action tropes. uh, Whereas... um, The movie that I mentioned a little bit earlier, A Simple Plan, that Sam Raimi made, um, that's... I think that movie just plays really well from beginning to end. And... Especially, especially the the sort of the ending of that movie, um, is kind of how Red Rock West I think could have gone um, instead of being a little bit too action orientated. But a simple plan kind of keeps everything. Yeah, it, it it's really tense and nail biting, and it never really goes over the top in terms of action. So I'd recommend people check that out if they if they can find. I'll have to watch it. Yeah, I've never seen it, so I'll have to check that film out um but i guess another problem i have is what's in my notes is there's like there's too many standoffs in the second half too that bothered me like there's a standoff in uh okay there's a standoff when they're hiding in the closet and the standoff with the deputies and wayne which is followed by the standoff at the jail with lyle wayne and Michael, where he's like, oh, you're going to let me out of jail? It's like, oh, you do have to do this for me. Then there's a standoff at the cemetery where Lyle's holding the gun. Then there's a standoff at the cemetery where Wayne's holding the gun. Mm. There's a standoff at the cemetery where – does Michael hold the gun? I don't think he ever has the gun. Oh, okay. Yeah. There's a st- standoff with the, um, with Suzanne. Mm. And then there's a second standoff with Suzanne again on the train so it's just like too many like in a 25 minute period there's like four or five standoffs it's just like god okay <laughs> stop stop it with the standoffs yeah <laughs> you know you need one standoff 
That's why the standoff at the end of The Good, Bad, and the Ugly is so good. It's just like, oh my god, look at this standoff mm. with the high stakes. But in this one, it's like, it's standoff, and then he's going to get in charge, and something's going to happen. Like, there's no there's no stakes. It got really... I just felt like an overused plot device to kind of, like, lengthen it and try and make unsuspenseful scenes suspenseful to me. I don't know. Yeah, yeah no, that, that, that's a fair point. I, um, I think... Yeah, it sounds like we both we like the like the first half of the movie a lot more than the second half. Yeah, it's just yeah, it, I mean, it loses a little bit of its charm too, and it, it has to do that in a way because you can't have it a mystery of the whole movie necessarily. You know, in the first half you're like, oh man, how's it going to get out of this? But when they kind of are actively go back and stuff like that, it's like it's no longer a a mystery movie. It's like they're actively engaging, which is probably why it's so action-packed but it's hard to keep that suspense going the whole movie unless it's like memento where he can't remember five seconds so you don't know what's going to happen to the very end you know yeah anyway so yeah that um uh, for people that are interested i would highly recommend that you also watch this director's next movie the last seduction which i think is yeah which i think is probably his best movie that he ever made and it's got an amazing performance by Linda Fiorentino, who plays the lead character, and that yeah, again, it plays with a lot of film noir elements, but it kind of puts an interesting spin on a lot of them by kind of making the it makes the femme fatale the the, the main character of the movie essentially, which makes for oh, some really? yeah, kind of makes for a lot of uh, yeah, it makes for quite an entertaining movie. And it's a, it's a great it's a great showcase for for this actress as well. So, I think that that's probably John Dahl's best movie. But I also enjoyed one he made a little bit later. It's not a film noir. It's called Joyride. Um, oh God, I hate that movie with the trucker. Yeah, did you not like that? That movie's so stupid. Are you kidding me with that yeah. movie? No, I, 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 like, I that. like that movie. I think it's uh, it's one of those it's movies with that, rusty nail. What the trucker? His name's Rusty Nail. Yes, that's right. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't realize and that. It's like, oh no! Yeah. And then a truck drives through the motel room. <laughs> that's the worst. It, it's. I don't know what's worse, that movie or the sequel. The sequel's also really bad. Oh well, no, I wouldn't. I don't really bother with the sequel. Joyride Two. Um, Rusty Nail's back. Rusty Nail's back. Yeah, I mean, I'm, it's one of those movies that you either you either get you either get into it or you don't. It's it's a movie that I think. It's a good example of of how to make a really good suspenseful kind of nonstop, um, yeah, nonstop suspenseful movie. It's kind of a horror movie, but instead of having like you know a killer chasing people, it's a guy in a truck. So, I mean, if you don't, yeah, you either get into it or you don't. I thought it was, I just thought it was as was it was a well made movie, um, and it's something that 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 this director that yeah he hadn't really done this kind of thing before so it's worth i think it's worth checking out and after after this i think after joyride he didn't really do much else for a while and then he started directing a lot of tv shows yeah but yeah like i think he even did an episode of breaking bad yeah he did, he did breaking bad he did uh things like uh justified um quite a few good tv shows that he where he directed certain episodes but yeah, definitely the last the last seduction is a good movie, and he made a movie before Red Rock West called Kill Me Again, which seems to be definitely like kind of an 
and the homage to film noir as well. Yeah, I haven't. Uh, I mean, obviously, it's, it seems like we haven't seen that movie, but from what Wikipedia and IMDb tell me, it's um, like it was it was really well received. Like it wasn't received necessarily by like audiences, but critically, uh, once in festivals and kind of, I mean, allowed him to make a second movie with, you know. A A list actors like at this time Nicolas Cage was a get, as was Dennis Hopper and yeah you know exactly. Sarah Flynn you know and uh, Laura Flynn Boyle so like he like that that's how this like one of those instances so that's that's really rare to just sh- jump into the mainstream like that I mean Red Rock West we as we mentioned wasn't massively distributed but at the same time to just be able to do that is is quite a feat so. The movie's supposed to be really good. I'd like to. I'd like to check that out. And the last seduction. Mm. It's kind of. I don't know. Doing this podcast, it kind of just makes you want to um, check out these like directors who aren't like mainstream. You know, yeah. like it's, it's like oh, I want to see how. Anyway, I'm just going on a rant here. You can just edit this part no, out. No, no, no. We'll keep it in. It's all good stuff. It's all, it's all gold. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, he, he, it's not it's not a must see, but the movie that he that he made after the last seduction is a movie called Unforgettable, with Linda Fiorentino again, but Ray Liotta plays the main character, and it's really not a good movie. It combines kind of thriller elements with mystery and even. A little bit of, I wouldn't say science fiction, but it throws some interesting kind of like um, elements into it. And I guess it's an example of what happens when sometimes when like an up and coming director gets like a, a bigger budget to work with, and and things don't and 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 things just don't really work out. So yeah, so you can you can check that out, but I would say like watch definitely watch the last seduction first, and then if you want to see unforgettable how how a movie can just go really off the rails. Um, it's like his Alien Three or something. yeah, Alien Three. <laughs> yeah. So so yeah, that that, cool. that was our film noir discussion. Hopefully, everybody found it interesting and engaging. I think we both we, we both kind of. I guess learned a few new things about film noir and discovered some new movies and movies that we'll probably want to catch up with down the track. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I mean, our listeners probably thought it was kind of boring. I mean, we kind of just went on long rants, yeah. especially me. I'm prone to just being like blah blah blah, and then going from like point A to point Z. <laughs> it's just like completely off the rails. But you know, on a personal note, like. For both of us, we we researched these films. We also like I took several books out of the library on film noir, and I watched other movies to kind of like um, pad my knowledge. The most obvious that I kept bringing up was Out of the Past, which you, you also mm. saw, and uh, so it was fun. It was, it was like a teaching experience, and uh, hopefully, it's kind of inspired our listeners to do more than just watch these movies, but maybe check out a more wide variety of film noir and see how these films fit into it, you know, into uh, the definitions and what um, what makes a film noir, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I mean, film noir is definitely, I think it's become, it's become one of my favorite film genres. It's, you know, I think, I mean, the first film noir I ever saw was The Maltese Falcon, which is mm-hmm. probably 
with with a lot of people who probably get into the genre, that's a movie that they may have come across and been like, oh yeah, this is not this isn't bad. And the Maltese Falcon is considered, I think, considered by a lot of people to be sort of the the the, the starting point for the for the classic period of film noir, which is 1941. And yeah, it's. Yeah, like uh, at least according to some of the books I read, it's sort of like film noir me- reaching uh, mainstream, yeah. I guess. Like, and it started before, but there are always B movies, and then you have Maltese Falcon, and it's sort of not quite a noir. It's like a noir slash crime movie, I guess. Yes. And from there, you have oh, we want to be like um, the Maltese Falcon to the point where movies that aren't even necessarily film noir movies have film noir style in it. Like you know, like Casablanca or something like that. So, um, but yeah, it's sort of like uh, I don't know, like Bullet Time. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, it's I don't know. It's no, I guess it's more like uh, that's a bad example. Like uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, reaching the mainstream, and then you have Wire Foo from yeah, they're they're out. Mm. But before with Crouching Tiger. You could see it in a lot of movies from from Hong Kong, but what am I even doing right now? That's a terrible analogy. Let's just move on. Yeah, we'll, we'll just forget you said that. That's all right. Let's just <laughs> let's just yeah. Let's rewind time. Rewind we'll time. Yeah, and for, uh, we can't do that unfortunately. This is this is this is live. <laughs> oh my god! No, I'm sorry. Okay. We were talking about anyway, so now, yeah, so. if you anyway, film noir definitely um, take the time to kind of um, you know get into the genre, go back and. Watch things like the Maltese Falcon and the Big Sleep and and Double Indemnity. Those are all great examples of the of the genre out of the past, as we've talked about. And yeah, and for more modern movies, you have Chinatown, Blade Runner, Seven, yes. uh, maybe even Zodiac. It's a good one. So uh, yeah, plenty of movies to check out. And uh, yeah. Have have at it. Have at it. Yeah. So um, so we can. I guess we can talk a little bit about what we what, what we've got coming up in our next few episodes. Now let's actually let's keep it a surprise. Keep it a surprise. Oh, okay. Let's just have the next episode, cool. and then when they tune in, they can learn about it then. Okay. Good. Yeah. Keep keep them uh, keep them in suspense. Yes. Mm. All right. Well, let's, this is going on a while, so I'm going to just let's just say you know. Let's just sign off. Sign off. Anyway, thanks for listening, and I have been Rudy in Auckland. Yeah, this is Chris in Chicago. Thanks for joining us. We will uh, see you next time. See you next time. Boom, in the can. (laughs) 